You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back. It's Hokey Hangover. We are short a guy, Ricky. Yeah, we are. Uh, not only have we been on quite the hiatus, but we, we finally get back in here and Andrew's not even here, which sounds like it's not really his fault. Sounds like he's got a serious laptop issue that uh, I don't know when the heck that's going to get fixed. Yeah, so hopefully he's back with us soon. Um, I'm Mike McDaniel. That's Ricky LeBlue, of course. Uh, we try to do this weekly. We've taken a couple weeks off. It is what it is. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. After after all the, the Baylor stuff and just everything that we've had going on with tech football, I think everybody needs to take a bit of a break. Yeah. Because the fan base is so polarized right now. And as we'll talk about later in, in this pod, they're still polarized and they're getting even more polarized by the day. Um, things aren't really getting any better in that regard. Yeah. So we haven't recorded since the night before Justin Fuente announced that he was coming back. So we had a kind of like a breaking news pod. We were planning on recording that week anyway, but we ended up recording the night that all the Baylor stuff broke, um, I, I guess it was the night after all the Baylor stuff broke, but it was that 48-hour period that got really, really dicey for Tech football uh, right after we recorded and got the podcast out. Less than 12 hours later, Justin Fuente announced he was staying at Blacksburg on Twitter with that really super strange tweet with him basically the only one in the room smiling outside of like two other people. <laughs> um, so we had the entire staff meeting picture there that that following morning and all is well in Blacksburg, sort of. Um, Whit Babcock uh, sticks his neck out for his head coach uh, that following afternoon, which was big of him to do. That's why Whit Babcock's one of the best ADs in the country, Ricky. Yeah, I mean, I, I have some some criticisms of Whit, but by and large, I've been a huge fan of his since he got into Blacksburg. I don't think that Tech could really do much better than what they've got with him. Uh, there are fair criticisms regarding Tech's fundraising uh, under WIT, but in terms of staffing the department with the right people, uh, especially on the on the actual athletic side, not the administration side, I think he's done an excellent job. Um, and the fact that he was willing to do that for Justin shows, A, I think the relationship that those guys have, but also B, that, the, that WIT kind of gets it and is willing to be the the loyal soldier, even when it's not exactly fun. Yeah, I mean, it's an upgrade from Weaver, and I don't want shit all over a dead guy, but he's, you know, Babcock's better than the old AD. Jim J- Jim had plenty of good things that he did in his tenure, but ultimately getting Whip Babcock in here really elevated the, the, the program as a whole, not necessarily the football team, 
but in terms of the basketball team, in terms of the Olympic sports investments, which I know some people have issues with, and I, I think we're going to get to that later this offseason because I, I do think that's a good topic. But Witt has done a pretty damn good job, um, and it helps that he's a really nice guy and he's really relatable and he's uh, he's easy to get behind. Yeah, uh, you think about the hires that, that Witt's made, and we've talked about this before, but like obviously hiring Buzz Williams for basketball, having him turn the program around, then hitting a home run with Mike Young, who's been really good in year one, despite struggles with the team of late. We'll get into that in a bit. Uh, baseball program seems to be heading more in a in a more solid direction than it had for a while under John Sheff, so they're going to try to make a run at the NCAA tournament this year. Wrestling with Tony Roby last couple seasons, obviously one of the best programs in the country, and that's just scratching the surface um, with, with all the other athletic programs that are doing really well for Virginia Tech right now. Specific to that press conference that Witt had, and I just want to tie a bow on that real quick. I thought it was really impressive that Witt comes out because he he openly said, look, it was a little bit dicey there for 48 hours. This is the only place that Justin Fuente has interviewed over his time in Blacksburg. Um, Justin Fuente had a separate press conference this past week for National Signing Day, which we'll get into, uh, where he talked about you know two schools that he's talked to ever right since he's been a head coach has been Virginia Tech and Baylor and that was it obviously he took the Virginia Tech job and then obviously ended up turning down Baylor or whatever happened there he decided to return to Blacksburg yeah we don't really know exactly whether he was offered that job or not exactly um but in any case he wasn't 100% sure if he was going to get it or he wasn't 100% sure that he was going to be committed to it so he ends up back in Blacksburg uh but I thought it was impressive of Whit Babcock to come out basically say, hey, look, we don't really know. We didn't really know for a 48 hour period there if he was going to stay or if he was going to go. And for an athletic department that has had access issues with the media in the past, even on that day where they only invited a handful of reporters uh, to that impromptu press conference for Whit Babcock, a lot of people were critical of it who did not get invited to it. But even in that moment, I thought it was big of Whit Babcock to come out and basically say, hey, look, we really didn't know if he was coming back or not. He ends up coming back. It says a lot about the relationship, as you mentioned, Ricky, between Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente, that he would come out and stand up for his head coach and really kind of let the fire die down. Because then you have this week, fast forward three weeks, essentially two and a half weeks, uh, the first week, full week of February. And Justin Fuente has his, his press conference right after National Signing Day. And he says, hey, I entertain Baylor. I'm 100% invested in this football program. Here at Virginia Tech, I understand why fans may be critical that I looked elsewhere. I totally get it. It comes with the territory. But by and large, that press conference yesterday, uh, Ricky, was pretty tame, right? Like there wasn't a whole lot that came out of that except for one small thing. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, I think that's kind of the frustrating part for some fans is that that People want some some reasoning, and even though people kind of understand it, I think from Justin's perspective, they understand why he would be entertaining the Baylor job. If it's a good program in an area that he's familiar with, they're coming off a really good season, they've got a good roster coming back. The Big 12 outside of Oklahoma is really up for grabs, and honestly, I think Oklahoma is a bit vulnerable if you get a really, really good coach in that conference. Um so I, I get it, and I think a lot of people get it, but still I think a lot of people wanted to hear it from Justin uh, and hear it from himself and not hear it from anyone else. And I, I, I get why people were critical of it, um, And but people also have to understand that's not who Justin is. 
Justin's a very private individual. He's been that way, I think, really his entire life, at least his entire coaching career. I know since he's been in Blacksburg, he's always been a bit closed off. And um, now, once you you know, it, once you get his guard down, he's a very nice guy, and that's, that's something that I always appreciated when I was covering him. But uh, in terms of the media, in terms of social media, uh, Justin's not the rah rah kind of guy. He's never going to be. Uh, so. I think the press conference that we got a couple days ago is probably the best that tech fans uh, realistically could have hoped for, because it's not like he was going to come out and, and say a bunch of stuff and, and, and go through it line by line, even though I think that might've won him some brownie points with a lot of people. Yeah. So he holds that press conference, Ricky. And the one thing that came out of it, that was a little bit of a surprise that, I mean, look, going into the press conference, we all thought, okay, there's going to be some quotes here about the Baylor job that Justin Fuente is going to say or or not say that's going to draw some criticism. But what he ended up saying had nothing to do directly with the Baylor job. It had to do with the transfers. And maybe this rubbed fans the wrong way because it indirectly was tied to something that Justin Fuente did three weeks earlier, right? He flirted with Baylor. So, Oh man, I'm I'm working on pulling up the full quote here. I've got I've got the full quote. All right, actually, fire if away. You want me to? If you want me to go ahead and so he says, "quote You always take things one case at a time. There are always exceptions, unforeseen circumstances, but we aren't going back down that road right now. That's exactly what I told the team. I just told them I didn't educate anybody on any of these a year ago. That's my fault. I'm going to take or going to talk." a little bit about it here and how we're going to handle it. And after that, he got into some less important quotes about opportunities for kids at transfer and things like that. But basically that was his way of saying, we're not going to be taking any of the kids back from the transfer portal this year. And as we know, Mike, it got really, really ugly on Twitter and you had ESPN writing about it. You had Dan Wolken taking shots at Justin Fuente, which, I was absolutely floored that Dan Wolken took time to criticize Justin Fuente because ever he since loves that Justin guy. Fuente, he loves it. Dan Wolken is a Justin Fuente guy through and through. And even Dan Wolken basically trashed Justin Fuente along with um, Randy Etzel at uh, UConn, who had, I guess, some harsher quotes about the transfer portal. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really got out of hand and, I actually, a lot of people were in my mentions saying that I took the the thing out of context. And, and I will admit that at first glance, um, what I took from the situation as it was happening is a bit different than, than what the original words were. So I do think that that's important. But I also think that it's important for me to to clarify that my opinion on it hasn't really changed. Um. I, I, and I, as I tweeted, I totally understand why coaches would be uh, hesitant to continue accepting kids back from the transfer portal. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea, but I'm not a coach. These guys are. So I understand the, the, the reasoning. Um, but it's not something you really want to say when not a month ago you were somewhat close to leaving the, the the program in the dust in a really, really vulnerable time. Um, and Justin has taken a lot of heat for that, and rightfully so. Uh, Justin, 
should have understood the optics of that probably weren't going to be the best. And all it did was give ammunition to his most harsh critics, harshest critics. Um, They gave them even more ammunition, which they didn't already need because there's plenty to criticize Justin Fuente about for what we've seen over the last two years. And especially with this recruiting class. Um, But it, it just didn't go over well. And I can totally see it being a, a negative recruiting tool for other programs against Virginia Tech down the road. Yeah, so I'm with you, and full disclosure, I made the same mistake you did. I saw the, essentially, quote tweeted Andy Bitter. I saw the, just the snippet of the quote. Yeah. Um, then once I saw the full quote, gave me a little bit more context, which I, you know, I, I and, and And to clarify, I don't want this to, to sound like I'm, I'm mad at Andy, because when you're tweeting these live press it's conferences hard. and you're doing it in person, it it's sucks. hard, man. You can you can never get the quote exactly right. It's almost impossible to do it. And even when you're paraphrasing, it's very, very easy to miss things. Yep. So I, I wanna make wanna make it clear because Andy, I respect yep. the hell out of Andy. He is probably the best on the tech beat. Um I it's not necessarily his fault. It's just that when you're doing live reporting like that, these kind of things happen. Yeah, it's very difficult. I'm one hundred percent with you in that camp. Um yeah, I mean, you sit in a press conference, you're trying to tweet, these guys are talking normally, you're typing away, you're you're texting away, trying to get your tweet out. It's difficult. It's very, very hard to do that in real time. Um, yeah, so I see that quote initially, and I have the same reaction you do. I'm like, man, the optics of this aren't very good. Even though I understand that Justin Fuente wants his players to either be all in or you're out. And I get that. But the players, again three weeks earlier are, are on Christmas break still. And they're wondering the same thing. Is our head coach all in or is he out to Baylor? Right. I mean, th- think about it. Justin Fuente kind of did his own little stint in the transfer portal. Yep. He did. <clears throat> I mean, I understand, I understand he didn't fly out to a, a neutral site location and meet with Baylor officials. They came to meet him supposedly. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that Justin Fuente was in limbo for 48 hours and he he didn't address the situation like Luke Fickle has done since regarding Michigan yep. State since D'Antonio has since retired um and Mike I know you called this what like two months ago that Luke Fickle was in for a Big Ten job and he's already being put as the head candidate at Michigan State but Luke Fickle put out a statement immediately even if even if he's lying, at least the guy Said puts something, something out yep. there. Say something. Yeah, I mean, and I don't. I'm not advocating for Justin Fuente to lie to the to the to the fans. I think that Buzz Williams actually handled all of that stuff pretty well when he was in Blacksburg, and he never denied it because uh, he knew it wasn't true. Um, if he denied it, so um, I, I just think that tech tech fans are are so stung by everything that. Uh, everyone's just a bit touchy right yeah. now. And and he hasn't exactly built up goodwill, right? He won six games, I guess, going on two years ago now. And, you know, Tech finishes eight and five this past year. They lose the final two games. And of course, you know, one of those being the bowl game. Uh, Tech and, and UVA. And UVA, right. So they lose. Which is more important. Right? Which I tell all the fans that. All the fans need to hear that. Just, <laughs> some, some like to hang too much on a bowl game that doesn't really matter. But yes, the UVA game is infinitely more important for a number of reasons, including recruiting, which we'll get into here momentarily. Um, yeah, but Tech had a really slow start after winning six games in the 2018 season. 
you know, this year they get off to a slow start. I mean, they were two and two, but they looked bad, right? They did not play very well. They get blown out at home against Duke. They they're trailing at halftime to an FCS team. They let ODU back in the game. They turned the ball over five times against BC in the opener. Like there were a lot of bad things that happened in the month of September and tech all of a sudden, you know, they make the quarterback switch. We've gone over it a million times. They play really well for about a two month period there in October and November. And then, you know, they don't finish the season the way that they want. And then this recruiting class, Ricky, is arguably the worst in school history. At least. No, it is. Not not no, it is. At least since the at least since the rankings have been around. Like if you and and we spent a lot of time on this after the early signing period. Uh, but now that the class is done, uh, it's important, I think, to go back and, and realize exactly what this class means for tech moving forward. And tech is, has, or excuse me, is 12th in the conference in average recruit rating, according to 247 sports. That means absolutely nothing regarding the amount of players they took. So again, I don't want to hear anything about, oh, this is a small class size. There's limited scholarships, yada, yada, yada. According to the people who do this for a living, and they've started to get pretty damn good at it. Um, Tech's level of recruit is one of the worst in the conference the worst and in the conference. is worse. worst. Well, uh, that's according to the overall rating. But if you look at the average numerical rating per fair. recruit, fair. it's 12. Fair. And the only two teams that they're better than, if I'm not mistaken, are Wake Forest and yep. Syracuse. Uh, so they lost to BC. They lost to Georgia Tech. They lost to UVA, they lost to Duke, all these other programs that, frankly, are not very good football programs. Um, and Tech is losing to them on the recruiting trail. And it definitely puts even more and more pressure on this season and then the recruiting class coming up next, which Justin Fuente thinks can be one of the best ones in school history. And, of course, he has to say that, but it's way too early to know if Tech's going to turn things around. Yeah, for sure. Um, 2021, uh, for what it's worth, I guess, verbally, verbal commitment wise, it's off to a good start. But like, we're, I mean, we're basically a full year out from early signing day. Yeah, I mean, there are going to be players who back out on pledges. There are going to be players that Tech is considered the favorite for and they don't get. Uh, We have to see how things go. But if we're going to judge on Justin Fuente's recruiting track record, Virginia Tech isn't going to get inside the top 25. And if they finish anywhere from 25 to 35, that would probably be on the higher end of of what reasonable people would expect. Yeah, so we're just going to do a little thought exercise here, Ricky. Um, 2016 was, I guess, technically the first. It was kind of a transition class for Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech finished eighth in the ECC in 2016. Um, to your point, this this isn't a program that's historically recruited like better than the top twenty. Um, just historically, uh, we look at the twenty seventeen class. That was Justin Fuente's first full class. He had five four stars in that class. Ends up finishing fourth in the ACC. That was a very good class. Um, he's been consistently in the top four or five in the ACC. Now, how does that normally translate? It normally translates to your point to a top. 23 to 28 class we'll say in in that range right um so he's he's consistently in the mid-20s which is basically what virginia tech was doing before he got there so he hasn't improved recruiting at all 
like you mentioned, this is the worst class in school history. This is the most important class for Virginia Tech in insofar as Justin Fuente needs to develop these players better than he ever has, right? To your point, um, the average ranking of these recruits, there are only two schools that are worse than Virginia Tech in the ACC. We're not used to seeing that. Virginia Tech, from a pure top-to-bottom perspective, this is the worst class in the ACC. Uh, This is the worst class in the Power Five, which is not ideal, obviously, and this is a program... Yeah. Well, when you consider Virginia Tech as a football program the last 20 years, we'll say since the 99 season when they went to a national championship game, since the 1999 season, this has been conservatively, very conservatively, a top 30 to 35 program in the country, right? And that's conservatively speaking. For a number of those years, they were top 15 or 20 program. But when you take... And for a number of those years, they were top 10. Yeah. So when you consider the full 20-year period... They were probably a top 30 to 35 program when you take into account the worst years, which happened to be the last three or four years of Frank Beamer, and then, I guess, the last two years of Justin Fuente. So this is a program that has no business finishing last in the Power Five in recruiting, last in the ACC in recruiting, behind the likes of Boston College, behind the likes of Pittsburgh, behind the likes of Syracuse, behind the likes of Wake Forest. We're talking about football programs here, Ricky, that have not been, I mean, Pittsburgh's been okay out of the teams I just mentioned, but we're talking about football programs that historically have not been very good, right? Um, Now, have they been better recently? Sure. Like Wake Forest has been a little bit better recently. Pitt's been a little bit better recently, but like Syracuse obviously been a little bit better recently, but like historically speaking, Virginia Tech is a better football program than those schools, right? So you run into this issue now where Virginia Tech has now struggled the last two seasons on the field. Now you're bringing in a recruiting class that's the worst in school history, certainly the worst under Justin Fuente by far. And now, you know, you talk about, okay, next year is the year. Next year is the year. 2020, he better show something, Ricky. Yeah, he's, and not just on the field, he's got to show something on the recruiting trail. I mean, bringing in an NFL guy, um, I 100% uh, expect that to have serious benefits uh, in terms of defensive recruiting, specifically along the defensive line. There is no business, or excuse me, no reason that Virginia Tech shouldn't be able to land one or two very good defensive ends in this class simply alone from the fact that they're going to be coached by A, an NFL guy, and B, a former All-American in Blacksburg. Um to me, that should be an instant hit on the recruiting trail, and we'll have to see how that turns out. But we've gotten to a point in this, in Justin Fuente's tenure where he's got everybody in place. All of these guys that, that he has put on staff are people that he alone has hired. These are people that he's pulled from his backgrounds and pulled from his connections and placed them in power. Uh, this is 100% Justin Fuente's program now. There's no lingering doubts about how much of an influence – Frank Beamer's guys were or Bud Foster's guys were it's Justin Fuente's show and we're in entering year five and this is when a coach who has put the work in and the time in who says that he's you know doing things the way he wants to do them this is about the time where you should be hitting your stride as a as a program and as a roster and even though we've seen some defections between the NFL draft and the transfer portal This roster, by and large, is going to be very experienced heading into next year. 
and it's going to be almost entirely made up of Justin Fuentes players. So he's he's out he's out of excuses. 2020 is the year where he's a got to win on the field and he's got to win nine to 10 games and B he's got to go out on the recruiting trail and he's probably got to get at least at worst a top 30 class. Um, and really he probably should be in the top 25. I mean, I'm not saying inside the top 20, but anywhere from that 20 to 25 range, I think tech fans will feel a lot better. Yeah. So I'm with you. So let's take a look at this, at this recruiting class briefly. And I want to turn the attention to the wide receivers. The reason why, and they're better rated recruits in this class than the wide receivers, Ricky, but I feel like with the departure of Damon Hazleton, with the departure of Hezekiah Grizzly, Jacoby Pinckney, who never saw the field, Virginia Tech's thinner at wide receiver than they've been in a long time. Um, They bring a handful of wide receivers aboard in this class. Tyree Saunders is the best one, or the highest rated one anyway. Six foot, 174. He's a three-star recruit out of Jacksonville, Florida. Lakeem Rudolph, he's a bigger, bigger bodied receiver. Think more like Damon Hazleton, right? Six foot four, two oh two. So he's also Virginia Tech's only in state recruit. He is, right? So um out of Virginia Beach. Uh Dallin Wright, who actually just signed yesterday on National Signing Day, six foot one one seventy. He's a three star recruit out of South Carolina. So Virginia Tech adds a handful of receivers in this class. They swing and they miss on Marshall wide receiver Obi Obialo, who's one of the best names in college football. They swing and miss on him. He goes to <laughs> Oklahoma. Uh, so they were hoping with the departure of Grimsley, who's got some you know, family matters to attend to. So that's kind of an – he lost his starting job, number one. And number two, he's got some family stuff happening yeah, in the back. Both of those are factors. Yep. Um, Damon Hazleton leaving. That had actually been rumored for a, about a year. <laughs> um yeah, I, I think everyone understood that Damon was only going to be in Blacksburg so long as it was directly beneficial to him. Right, and, and the thing that was most surprising to me about Damon Hazleton's departure wasn't that he left, it was that he chose to transfer and not go to the NFL. That was what was most surprising to me about that move. Yeah, definitely, and and, and I don't say that as a, as a knock on Damon because Lord knows Tech fans have plenty to thank Damon Hazleton for. I mean, without his performances in 2016 or excuse me 2018 uh and this past season in 2019 Virginia Tech's offense would be markedly worse I mean you you thought 2018 was bad already imagine Damon Hazleton not being on the field and imagine just how bad that offense would have been and how many more games they probably would have lost yeah for sure so the onus goes to guys like of course Trey Turner uh Tavion Robinson Caleb Smith, those types of guys need to step up and perhaps a handful of guys in this recruiting class, Ricky. And I I don't know how many of these guys make an impact right away, if at all. But if there's going to be one position that I can point to and say, hey, if there's going to be one position out there that needs to make an impact on next year's team, it's going to have to be wide receiver, even just from a depth perspective. Yeah, and I think that this is this kind of goes back to this is this is, you know, Justin Fuentes roster now. He's got guys that he recruited that are coming off of redshirt years. Uh, Jaden Payute, who I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, because we still haven't heard from the guy. Yeah, best of luck. Um, <laughs> still don't know what yeah. the right pronunciation is. Um, I mean, he, he's supposed to be an uber athlete at the receiver position, came in as a raw a raw product. Uh, with his athleticism and the offense that Virginia Tech likes to run, which is a lot of um, short underneath stuff, and then fade routes over the top against one, uh, against man-to-man, 
Um, you know, he should be someone that should be able to fit into the offense without being a, a, a an overly polished uh, route runner or receiver. So I'm expecting him to, to play a role. I am expecting Caleb Smith to play a role, which makes me personally proud because I've been banging the Caleb Smith drum since he enrolled as a walk-on after decommitting from Wake Forest. I, I saw that guy play in the spring when he first got to campus, and I've always thought that he could, he could game a bit. He's not an, an overly talented guy, but he's someone who can contribute uh, even if in a, a limited role. But you're you're definitely right that Tech's receiving core is at a bit of a disadvantage relative to what we were expecting coming in. And now that we do have to rely on some better, or excuse me, some younger players uh, that I think Virginia Tech was hoping to not have to rely on this quickly. The one thing I will mention about Caleb Smith, to your point, and he's not an overly outstanding athlete. He's not. No, he, he's not fast. He doesn't jump a ton. He can, he can get up a bit, but he's got secure hands. He tends to get separation on his routes. He makes those combat catches and really for as many fade routes and as many go routes as Virginia tech throws that you really don't need a guy who's a super polished or super polished route runner. You need a guy who has reliable hands is physical at the point of, of attack and it can go make those catches in one-on-one cover. And for what it's worth with his route running, I thought that really improved as the season went along, which wasn't necessarily reflected yeah. in his playing time because he didn't get a ton of playing time down the stretch uh, once Damon Hazleton and Trey Turner were both healthy and on the field at the same time. But when we did see Caleb Smith, I was impressed by how his route running did improve from being of the year to the end of the year. And I was also impressed for his size, how good of a blocker he was. I thought he was a, a pretty strong blocker, especially when Virginia Tech's running game all of a sudden got going there in the middle part of the season. Caleb Smith was still a big part of the offense. Yeah, and that's something that they're going to need these other Tech receivers to get better at. I mean, Trey Turner, I, I think he's an adequate blocker outside. He, he puts the effort in. He's just, it's not something that he's going to be very good Huge at. Guy. Damon Hazel, yeah, Damon Hazelton has the frame for it, but I don't think blocking was ever really in his his game plan going in week to week. Uh, and that was something that Eric Kuma did really, really well for all of the complaints that people have about Eric while he was in Blacksburg. Eric Kuma was a tenacious blocker on the outside and was very, very physical. I don't know if there's anybody coming up through the ranks in the Virginia Tech receiver room that is going to be able to do that and block like that. Um, which is going to frustrate Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente a bit, given how much they like to stretch the perimeter uh, with with running back sweeps, tight end sweeps, receiver sweeps from the slot, all sorts of things. Yeah, you won't hear me complain about Arakuma too much. He went to high school right up the street from where I grew up. Um, <laughs> Dalton Keene, that's where they'll really miss the blocking, by the way, for all this great stuff he did in the passing game. He, is, he was a tenacious blocker. And if you're looking for one area where Tech's running game might be affected or might be like, extremely affected it's it's those off tackle runs because they had Dalton Keene leading the way a lot of times they didn't play with a traditional fullback last year they had Dalton Keene line up at H back and line up kind of all over the field for them they're really going to miss him with his blocking next year yeah I'm not really sure how they're going to fill that fill that gap I mean I know they're really uh confident in Nick Gallo and people keep telling me he's the real deal and I, I need to see it before I'm going to bank on him. Uh, Drake uh, Dulius, I mean, he hasn't really seen the field at all. He was considered more of a receiver anyway, and James Mitchell passed him pretty quick. So I'm not sure what you're going to get out of there. Wilfred Panay, who signed in this class. Little sleeper. Uh, as a, yeah, as a prep guy, it's possible he could get on the field as a reserve tight end. Um, 
I don't expect anything from him because, again, he's new to the sport and um, he, he's a younger player, so I'm not expecting much from him. So it, as, I, as we said earlier, there are defections that have affected Virginia Tech's roster going into next year, but ultimately I stand behind the fact that Virginia Tech has enough experience and enough talent on this roster, according to Justin Fuente, to which this team should be able to win nine to 10 games next year and win the ACC coastal, uh, given how bad the coastal is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in my opinion, there's one serious team to compete with and that's North Carolina. UVA lost a lot. Miami is still uber talented, but they can't seem to put UVA lost a ton. ton. I, I, I know we said we were going to go into some ACC previews before we jumped on here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that, but real quick, UVA lost a, a ton. Lot. They lost a ton of leadership. They lost a ton of production. Losing Bryce Perkins is really the main thing that matters. And I don't want to hear anything about Brennan Armstrong. He's not Bryce Perkins. Perkins was was a unicorn, man. He's He was that kind of, that level of player that can take a middling team and make them tough to beat and a tough out against almost anybody. Um Virginia Tech has had guys like that, and they've had guys better, like a Tyrod Taylor. They had a guy like Logan Thomas who was able to do that a bit. Um, the, the, Bryce Perkins is definitely one of the best quarterbacks in UVA history. Yeah, for sure, and he was only there two years, which is all the, all the more impressive and a testament to how yeah. good of a player he was. Um, yeah, they lose a lot of skill guys. to see Dubois, receiver, he had a really, really good year, a 1,000-yard receiver there for UVA. They lose him. Yeah, there's not a lot returning to that team. So North Carolina is certainly the main competition. Miami, if they decide to put it all together, they're certainly got a ton of talent on that roster, but they got to figure that out. Until they do put it together, you almost have to assume that Miami's going to win like seven games. Yeah, it's it's hard to do that in the preseason. It's like, oh my it God. It is because so they do have so much yeah. talent. There's, there's no logical explanation for why Miami isn't whipping the Coastal's ass almost every time out. But instead... They're the ones that are out here losing to FAU and barely making bowl games and infighting amongst the players and the coaches and the coach is calling his team diseased. I mean, it, it's it's a total zoo down there. It is there. a mess. It's a total mess. Um, okay, one more thing before we, we move on, start talking about basketball. Um, just to wrap up the recruiting discussion, there are two guys out of Texas, right? This whole Texas to VT movement. They're both defensive ends. Alec Bryant, Robert Wooten. Yeah. Uh, both high-end three-star kids. Uh, Alec Bryan could have easily been a four star. He was got nearly a 90.90 uh, rating on two, four sevens. He was very close to being a four star recruit. Um, they're the two most talented players in the class. Virginia Tech, clearly on the defensive line, they've lacked depth, at least proven depth the last couple of seasons. They have tended to recruit pretty well on the defensive line. It's just a matter of all these young guys and if they're going to see the field and how much. But I guess Alec Bryant and Robert Wooten could potentially have an impact next year. Yeah, I think both of them could have an impact because we've seen the defensive ends that Virginia Tech has added to the roster since Justin Fuente was brought in haven't really panned out. I mean, Taiwan Garbett really feels like the only so guy talented. that has... Yeah, he, I mean, he, he has the talent to, to be a, a somewhat impactful player at the ACC level. He just hasn't stayed healthy, yep. so you, you have to minimize his expected contribution somewhat, but Zion DeBose has yet to to impact the impact the game. Nathan Proctor left 
Uh, Javon Becton is kind of a tweener between being able to play on the outside and being able to play on the inside. Um, he, he saw the playing, he saw the field a lot last year, uh, given Virginia Tech's depth issues at defensive end. So I'm curious to see if he takes a step forward. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the defensive end spot has gradually gotten worse under Justin Fuente. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why he decided to part ways with Charlie Wiles. Um, because ever since Kenny Canham left, and even Ken was kind of an average pass rusher, um, ever since Kenny Canham left, Virginia Tech has not had a reliable passing or pass rush threat on the outside. Yeah, they really haven't. I guess the only other guy would be Trayvon Hill, but then he got kicked off the team. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, Trayvon was a, a pretty reliable rusher off the edge, um, but he had his own issue, or injury issues with, I think a couple shoulder issues and yeah, of course being kicked off the team and not finishing out his time in Blacksburg. Yeah. So maybe Bryant and Wooten see the field a little bit more um, at the, at defensive end. They're going to get plenty of opportunities. This yeah, point, for sure. sure. I mean, at the very least um, I think they'll be in the rotation. Uh, and, and if not, I mean, I'd be surprised if either one of them ends up redshirting quite honestly, just because of the depth issues specifically at defensive end. I think tech is, much stronger from a depth perspective on the interior um, with the guys who have emerged there. But defensive ends a spot, like you mentioned, that uh, Tech has struggled with since, really, since Justin Fuente took over. All right, Rick. Well, we can move on to basketball, if you'd like, unless you have anything else to talk about here on the football side. No, no. I mean, I I, I think we've put a bow on the on the class. It's not good there by any ob- ob- object- objective standard. This class is not good. Um, that doesn't mean that there won't be probably a couple players out of this class that surprise us and play higher than the recruiting ranking because it happens every year. But by and large, um, there doesn't seem to be a high enough talent level and enough depth in this class to bank on this class being able to fill in for players who eventually leave down the road for various reasons, whether it be because they're going to the NFL or because they're graduating or because they're transferring. Uh, so it, it, all it does is place an even bigger emphasis on the 2021 class, um, which depending on how the season goes, Justin Fuente um, may have even more pressure. Yeah. And on the off chance that a bunch of these guys end up panning out, that probably means that Virginia tech has outperformed expectations the last few seasons. So that's good. That would, that would be a good thing. Um, don't bank on that, but um don't bank on that. But yeah, if, don't if that were to happen, it. that would be good news for the football program. Uh, Ricky, briefly, we got to talk about the basketball program. Virginia Tech beats North Carolina a little over two weeks ago in double overtime, 79 to 77. They've lost four games since then and one game before that. And Ricky, they are now losers of five of their last six games. Uh, this is a team that was squarely on the bubble. Um, even in the field in some of the some of the bracketology projections, especially by Joe Lunardi from ESPN, who seems to predict the almost the entire field, save for one or two teams every single year. He had Virginia Tech in the field um, yeah. in a couple of bracket projections. He had them in that play-in game there in the first four. But regardless, I think any of us would have signed up for that at the beginning of the year. And now we're looking at Virginia Tech and the way they've played over the last four games. And Ricky, the the rookie, the freshmen have played really well leading up to ACC play. They played pretty well in the first part of ACC play, and now we're kind of getting into the brunt of the schedule. 
Seems like a case of tired legs. I mean, they get blown out their their last time out the other night against Georgia Tech. That was a 30-point game at one point. They lose 76-57. Georgia Tech is a very average team. It's hard to go win on the road in the ACC, but it's pretty discouraging when you're losing by 30 in the second half to a team that is every bit as mediocre or as good or bad as you are. Uh, but you really can't keep up on the road. That was not a great sign for Virginia Tech. And given the remaining schedule, Ricky, I'm not sure how many opportunities they have left to win games here. Yeah, and there's a lot to talk about with this basketball team. To go ahead and start just on the court, um, number one, that the lack of front court depth, which we knew was going to be an issue coming in, is plaguing them once again. Um, It's plagued them for forever it seems really i mean it plagued them all four years under buzz williams it plagued them it's going to plague them this year it's going to plague them until mike young is able to get a few bigger bodies on the roster because look they just don't have the height to compete with a lot of these teams it helps that you do have a guy like tyrese radford who plays five to six inches taller than he is um but you can't bank on things like that pj horn He's clearly a limited player. It is what it is. There's no getting around it. Um, Tech is just a small team, and that's who they are. And we knew this coming in. None of this is really a surprise. Um, The other thing, too, is that it feels like they're just being less efficient from three, which was something that they did really, really well um, in a lot of those games where they were catching fire and beating teams they shouldn't be beating. And when you live by the three, you're going to die by the three. It's a cliche for a reason. Uh, Tech just hasn't shot the ball as well. It seems like they're getting a bit stagnant offensively. Um, and, and like you said, it could be an issue of fatigue where they've just logged a lot of minutes. They don't have a, a lot of depth off, off the bench to relieve a lot of those guys. So by the end of these games or by the second half, the, a lot of these guys may just be a bit winded and, and that's understandable. But I think the main point that I have been trying to get to people and I haven't really tweeted about it a ton, but I think it's coming is that I don't really care. It, it, it does it it, it it doesn't it doesn't anger me that this team is struggling. It doesn't frustrate me that this team is missing out a chance to be in the NCAA supposed to tournament. Be last in the this ACC team was right? supposed to be garbage. This team this team was supposed to be awful. This team was supposed to be one of the worst power five teams in the country. This team was supposed to have zero business being in bubble consideration. And yet they have overcome a thin roster, a thin front court, a brand new coach with a brand new system. And for most of the season, they've been a very, very competitive bunch, including games in which they're making runs in the second half to to erase deficits. To me, that's the impressive thing. And I think it's important for Tech fans to realize where we are in this point of the Mike Young era. There was no reason to have any level of expectation coming into the season. Um, Mike Young has surpassed any level, uh, any standard that anyone had set for this team going in, and he should be lauded for that, and she should be praised for that. If this team continues to struggle for the rest of the season, it won't bother me one bit because what I'm seeing is a, a foundation being built for the future. I'm seeing some pieces that might stick around and be able to play a little bit. Um, not sure if Landers Nolly is going to stick around, but we'll have to see and, and wait on that. Probably should. We'll get into that. In yeah, he probably should. Although from what I've heard, it seems like he's pretty set on going to the pros at this point. Um, 
but you've got two guys in the recruiting class that are, are pretty highly rated and are pretty solid power five level players. Those guys will be coming in next year. You've got some guys that'll still be on the roster. So Mike Young is going to have some talent. And if he continues to backfill these open roster spots with ACC caliber players, there's no reason to believe that Virginia Tech can't get back to being uh, a 11 or 12 win team in the conference. Um, I, I certainly think it can happen. So, uh, again, I don't care that this team is struggling right now because to me, it, this isn't about this season. It never was. It was about trying to identify some pieces that can compete down the road. I think Mike Young has done that. I think Mike Young has proven he's capable of coaching in the ACC. And so far, he's capable. He's proven that he's capable of recruiting in the ACC. And those are the two most important things. Uh, two things here. So Landers Nolly, you mentioned he's probably going to the pros which yeah it's it seems like he's got at least one foot out the proverbial door uh his last six games have not been very good tech's been one in five landers nolly i think is forcing up his shot a little bit because he knows his team needs offense really bad they've been really struggling from deep he's no exception uh ricky allow me to please read you the shooting statistics for landers nolly over the last (laughs) go ahead five for 16 five for 17 seven for 17 six for 15 five for 16 four for 14 against georgia tech and he was one for nine from three um the 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 way i see it is it's very similar to nikhil yeah i think he would he would but he would definitely benefit from coming back i mean look after year one, we all knew that Nikhil wasn't ready. And fortunately for Nikhil, he knew he wasn't ready. So Nikhil comes back. He gets better. Yeah, lottery, he becomes baby. better at attacking the basket. He becomes more efficient offensively. He shows that he can be a, a, a solid defensive player. And he goes in the first round of the draft. That's that's like the textbook situation for a Virginia Tech basketball player. Virginia Tech's not going to get these one-and-done guys. So... If you have guys going pro in their second or third years, um, I mean, that, to me, that that should be a, a kind of a a game plan that Mike Young can sell to Landers not only like, look, we all know you can play, we all know you've got talent, but you need just a bit more polishing. If you give us another year, we can make you a first round draft pick. I know it's a different coach, and I know Landers didn't commit to Mike Young, but I, again, I think Mike Young has proven that he's a damn good coach. And he's certainly proven a lot of people like me wrong, who very, very early on in the process were very skeptical of Mike Young's hire because Lord knows I was. Uh, and he's definitely made me eat some crow. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about Mike Young is a lot of people knew he could coach. I mean, he won almost 300 games at Wofford. The one thing everybody was concerned about, and I think rightfully so, was whether or not he could recruit in the ACC. So what does he do? He goes out and he hires the staff who recruits well in the ACC at the outset. That's something that he did very well here. Um, heading into year one and his team, I think by and large freshman to your point, Ricky, I think by and large, the team has performed. They've exceeded expectations. I think they've performed quite well considering the circumstances. They obviously have limitations on the roster given uh, the limitations in the front court. They lack a size there. Uh, they have lack of go-to consistent scores. Um, you know, one day it might be Landers Nolly who's leading the team with over 17 points per game, but the next day it might be Jalen Cohn. Then it might be Tyrese Radford, who I who I think, by the way, is the most consistent player on Tech's roster. But Landers Nolly, I, I think the Nikhil Alexander-Walker comparison is really good. So I think Nolly's game 
offensively, I think he's a bit more polished. He can score at all three levels, but he's got the same body type. He's a little bit bigger, uh, but he's got the same height as Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I think um, Nikhil was a better defender than Landers Nolly is right now. But I think Landers Nolly and I think Nikhil both struggled with the same thing when they were freshmen. I think they were forcing up their shot a little bit, right? I think Landers Nolly is getting to a situation where he knows the offense isn't all that efficient to begin with. And he knows he has to get his in order to give his team the best chance to win. That's backfired on him a bit in ACC play. It worked in the early part of the schedule in the non-conference when you're not playing talented teams. But when you get into the ACC schedule and it's a grind every single night and every team is out to get you, it's a lot harder to play the way that Landers Nolly has played this year on the offensive end of the floor, especially in the last month or so. So, yeah, I think Landers Nolly has the body type. I think he has the offensive ability to play at the next level. I do think that the floor spacing at the pro level will do him a lot of good because he'll have more room to operate and score and you know, defenders aren't all locked into him because there are other guys at the pro level who are capable of putting the ball in the basket. Yeah. You're not playing with Wabisabidi, who, you know, God bless him for all the stuff he does on the defensive end and assist to turnover ratio is, is among the best in college basketball. He creates a lot of offense through his assists and his passing and, and what he does to move the ball around the floor as a point guard. But God, he can't put the ball in the basket, Ricky. <laughs> no, he you can't. don't have that issue. At, and, and you think of like guys like Rajon Rondo or like Ricky Rubio at the NBA level who, are pass first point guards. They can still get to the bucket, make layups, get to a free throw line, even if they're not great free yeah. throw shooters. They still can can create offense a bit better than Wabisabidi can, for example, right? Yeah. And, and, and Nolly's uh, missing uh, that right now. Go ahead. Nolly's just missing that right now at tech. Yeah, definitely. And again, look, Virginia Tech has the the potential to return just about every player on this roster that I could think of. Add in KV Aluma, who was a starter for Mike Young at Wofford, a guy who's 6'9 and is athletic and can definitely give them a presence in the front court. And they've got two top 100 players that are signed for next year. So to me, this feels like the start of something that can really get Tech back to being sustainable. Yes, yeah, definitely. That's the perfect word for it, sustainable. I think Virginia Tech can find success long-term without Buzz Williams. And Mike Young is showing that he definitely has the the potential to do that. Um, a lot like Justin Fuente did in year one when he was coaching a roster that uh, was very, very accustomed to losing. Um, and Justin Fuente showed that he was able to get them to play good football. Now, obviously, Justin's come on a bit harder times of late, but I had a similar feeling about Justin that I have about Mike Young right now in that I think Tech has found a good one. Uh, we'll just have to see if Mike Young is able to build on this and have a bit more success on the recruiting trail and a bit more success developing these guys long term. Yeah, given how poorly the last six games have went, I think we'd all be happy and we all would have signed up for this at the beginning of the year would be the NIT anyway. And I think Virginia Tech does have yeah. enough games on their schedule where if they get back to playing winning basketball here down the stretch, while they may not necessarily make the NCAA tournament, in fact, their chances are quite small at this point. I do think that they could make a good run at the NIT. They got BC, Pittsburgh, and Miami over the next three. Boston College, of course, being at home here uh, this coming Saturday. They finish off the season. It's a tough schedule. Uh, They go on the road to Duke, home against UVA, who's kind of up and down right now, at Louisville, home against Clemson, and and at Notre Dame. Clemson and Notre Dame both playing actually decent basketball right now. So it's not an easy schedule down the stretch, Ricky, but I think if they win at least four of those games, they'll probably be in the NIT. That's before you even consider the ACC tournament. And yeah, exactly. And being in the NIT gets them extra practices and extra games and and games against most likely power five opponents 
that are quality teams that just didn't make the tournament. Those are the kinds of things that you can use as stepping stones, and it's very similar to what we saw with Buzz Williams. Yeah, for sure. I, I think Mike Young's building something. I think they're on the right track, and even though it hasn't looked good lately and it's been pretty ugly, I think... You know, I think the rational tech fans will look at this and, and say, look, this was a team that was picked to finish last in the conference. They're probably not going to finish last in the conference. So let's take that as a step in the right direction. Let's take a potential NIT berth as a step in the right direction. And let's appreciate the good plays that they're making, because a lot of times these guys, you know, they are playing hard. They're not quitting. Even the other night against Georgia Tech, they just didn't play well. Right. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Yeah. They had defensive breakdowns, but they were playing hard. And you can appreciate that out of a bunch of freshmen. I think there's promise for the future. There's talent coming in. There's talent on the roster already. I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think Tech fans have much to worry about long term with the basketball program. Yep. I'm with you. Well, that's all I got. I think anything else you can think of here for us to cover on our uh, maiden voyage here without our boy Andrew <laughs> hopefully Andrew will be back soon um, I know he's got that laptop issue that he's dealing with that's put him out of commission but no I can't really think of much I mean uh, other than it's going to be a really big offseason for Virginia Tech football we've been saying it for several weeks now um, and we've got a lot to cover this offseason we want to go through this team's depth at each position we want to go over the recruiting at each position how each position group fares or looks to fare for next year. We want to look at Tech's competition, uh, specifically in the ACC Coastal, and give you kind of a an in-depth breakdown on them. And obviously we'll be continuing to talk about this Virginia Tech basketball team, which, um, again, has exceeded expectations. And if they're able to put together a competent finish to the season, like you said, they can be in the NIT um, and I think any Tech fan coming into the season would sure as hell have taken that. Yeah, for sure. Spring football coming up here in a few weeks too. Believe it or not, it's yeah. It'll be it'll be important spring. And as uh, Justin Fuente said at the press conference, it sounds like Tech's going to be down all three of their top cornerbacks: Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, and Armani Chapman. It it looks like none of them are going to be playing this spring. Chapman is the only one that really has a, a legitimate chance to make it back. And if that's the case, we're going to, we're going to get a look at some young, young guys at cornerback. Uh, some guys that are really, really green. Yeah. Which I mean, might be good because we don't know much about the depth behind them. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Be, I mean, well, I, I think we all know that tech's pretty solidified one, two with Farley and, and Jermaine Waller. Uh, but behind them, there's definitely some questions Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, this has been the Hokie Hangover Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. I don't think we tell the people to do that enough, Ricky. No, look, it's not hard. You go on there, you leave a review, tell us how awful we are, tell us how much Andrew is necessary to this podcast, make him feel good. Um, but no, seriously, tell him, look, I mean, Mike and I and Andrew, we come at you from an objective point of view. We're going to give you our, our, our thoughts. There's no BS. Uh, there's, there's none of that associated with it. And honestly, I think we've got three of the best people right now that are covering tech football outside of, uh, of the full-time beat writers. Uh, I, th I think we all know what we're doing. We all have a pretty good, uh, pretty good head when it comes to Virginia tech football and Virginia tech athletics in general. So like subscribe, leave a review, follow us on Twitter, go on Twitter and follow Hokie hangover pod, follow Mike. Who's doing a ton of content for SI Go follow Andrew, who's obviously hosting The Drive uh, every weekday uh, on ESPN Blacksburg. And follow me uh, just because I like to write and I like to sound off about some shit. Well, I think we can leave it with that. Um, 
I mean, you made as good a case as any to leave. And, and also, real quick, shameless plug here. Um, let me let me check. I'm almost at five thousand Twitter followers. Oh so man! If I I really want to get to that number, uh, that would be that that'd be pretty lit. So at Ricky LeBlue, everybody, go go follow me. I know I know some of you hate me. It's okay. I love you too. Um, but no, it, it's been a blast, and I'm very blessed to have so many people still follow my work. Uh, it's 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 a blessing for sure. Yeah, so go follow him at Ricky LeBlue. Follow Andrew at Andrew Alex Radio. Follow me at Mike McDaniel SI. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hokie Hangover. Yeah, sure and if you out. have if you have topics you want us to talk about, tweet at us. I mean, we're all we're coming up on the off season where things are going to slow down a bit, but we're all about talking about what you guys want to talk about. If you have some features or topics that you want us to address, please please uh, do not hesitate to email us, DM us on Twitter, tweet at us, whatever it takes. Yeah, we'll do some sort of Q&A here soon. I think that'd be good. Uh, give us some off-season content here. Um, so yeah, we'll get to that. Um, Andrew, I, I know he's listened to this all the way through. We miss you, buddy. You'll be back on here soon. Hopefully get that computer fixed. Uh, but for Ricky LeBlue... Damn, man. Mike. <laughs> there it is. For Ricky LeBlue, I'm Mike McDaniel. Until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.